Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deep Dive podcast, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. We've got an exciting one um, today. We're going to have an interesting discussion about uh, the the two future you know, cornerstone pillars, RJ, down the middle, the centers, Matty Beneers and Shane Wright, a little bit later in our deep dive segment. Uh, Going to go over the games from this past week, including the whole Jared McCann situation uh, with Andrew Maggiapani and all of that. Got a great, fantastic Dumoulin interview to get to. Brian Dumoulin uh, took, t- took the time to talk to RJ. It's a really great interview. Excited for everybody to hear that one. Um, but before all that, RJ, and before even I mentioned Queen Anne Beer Hall, the wonderful sponsor we have for this podcast, um, there was something I wanted to bring up anyway to you. But because you did interview Dumoulin and it's relevant to the Penguins, I thought I would include it as the cold open for this podcast. OK, all right, go for it. And that is today the Penguins, you know, PR department, do they just put out like a normal, you know, uh, here's all the guys they're arriving at wherever they're playing today and they're getting off the bus kind of thing, right? And the the person taking the video is having to stand kind of just off the road as the players are exiting the bus and going and all the players are going and they most and everybody's ignoring it because this happens all the time. Right. Eric Carlson gets off the bus. RJ walks past just kind of like looking around like he's ignoring it, too. And he just says, hey, watch for that snake. eh?" And the person laughs and goes, wait, what? <laughs> and so then all of a sudden the video cuts. <laughs> <laughs> So I wow. want to know, I'm assuming Eric Carlson is just totally messing with the person taking the video here. Who do you think would be most likely to do that on the Kraken, RJ? Just mess with one of the wonderful PR people the Kraken have in that way. Uh, you're around the team, obviously, a lot, you know, locker room, all that stuff. Who who do you is the person that would do that? You know, the first person that comes to mind, it's another Swedish defenseman and it's mm-hmm. uh, it's Adam Larson. I feel like that's one of those little subtle kind of things that he would just point like, hey, watch out for that snake <laughs> and, and just try and, you know, catch him off guard. I, I think him, actually. Yeah, I, I thought so, too. I, I, was, I wanted Outer confirmation. Belly. Like like Ooh, Belmar, okay. it yeah. might be him, too, you know, but I, I feel I don't know. He I. I don't know that you'd like try and mess with them in that way. It's always just, you know, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Yep. <laughs> it would be an acknowledgement, but not necessarily a, a tease. Um, yeah, I, I, I think Larson is the, is the guy as well. Uh, so I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, and then, yeah, get to the get to the sponsor. Queen Anne Beer Hall, always thankful to have them sponsoring the podcast. As always, RJ, I'm, you know, I'm getting ready for this trip to Arizona tomorrow uh, and then Coachella Valley the next day. But later this month, I will be going up there and I will be getting my pretzel from Queen Anne Beer Hall. <laughs> it's about time, right? I know, I know you have that circled on the calendar, your mm-hmm. trip up here, and that's a big part of it, too. Yes, I need I need those sweet, delicious German carbs. That's, that's, that's what they're known for, right? Um, if I well, if I'm not going to get them from the beer, I definitely got to get them from the pretzel. That's that's the way. Oh yeah, works. I mean, hey, so many ways to get your sweet German carbs yes. uh, at Queen Anne Beer Hall. I mean, it's just delicious stuff. Yeah, I'll I'll have to have a sit down with um, Philip Grubauer at some point and do an interview just about all the all the carbs to come out of uh, Germany. Um, Hey, we know he likes the beer hall. That's that is definitely true. All right. News and notes. uh, And you've got news from today's practice earlier today. Let's and it's exciting, interesting news. 
Yeah, so there was a bit of a shakeup on the forward lines at practice today, and Haxtell has kind of been experimenting with different forward line combinations. He's certainly been tinkering this season, a lot of it necessitated by guys like Brandon Tanev and Andre Burakovsky being out of the lineup. Uh, but following a, a win against, I mean, a, sorry, a, a loss against the Calgary Flames, a game in which, you know, things didn't look all that great for the team, uh, I think Haxtell decided to tinker a little bit further. And so we ended up seeing Kyler Yamamoto given a try on the first line there uh, with uh, Matty Beniers, you know, on his line and Ty Cartier down to the fourth line there, uh, you know, playing with Shore and Belmar. So that's an interesting uh, little tweak that Haxtell has decided to go with. Uh, we'll see if it sticks for the game tomorrow in Arizona. But, you know, given how these things usually work, that seems like that's probably going to happen. Yeah. And this, I was a little surprised to see a lineup shakeup already RJ and we'll get to this when we cover the games from this week but I know that Calgary game you know it was a, it was a shoulda won really is what it was right like that was a game the Kraken could have won um, and they just didn't so I, I get wanting to shake things up after that but this is you know it's a big shake up especially because it's what this is the third time we've seen the lines shake up like this this year like it, that's a big it's deal. been a lot recently yeah it yeah. has and also by the way jared mccann also back up on that first line with maddie veneers it was mccann veneers and yamamoto and so you get the the third line that we all know and love tolvin and gord bjorkstrand back together as well and then schwartz wenberg everly staying together um so it, you know it's an interesting change to the lineup there jared mccann you know especially I mean, we'll talk about him plenty in this episode but he's back up there and probably going to get legit first line minutes there yeah, I would I would expect so. So, you know, we'll see. We'll, we're going to talk about Maddie later, but it does seem like maybe that's trying to get Maddie Beneers going maybe a little bit. Maybe. Um, well, do you like the do you like Yamamoto there up on the on the first line? I mean, are, are you a fan of this change? I, well, I think, yeah, I mean, in the sense that I think he's, he can finish, right? Like that's, that's certainly something that he is capable of doing. I think he plays a little different style too. So if you're trying to get Maddie to maybe change up how he's playing again, more hints to later. Um, you could, you could potentially, you know, I think he is a good fit for that more so than, than say like moving a Tolvin and up to play with Maddie. Like, I don't know that their styles would match up nearly as well as say Yamamoto. So I'm, I'm all right with that. Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, I'm looking at the, the stats for all the different Kraken lines, RJ. And look, the bottom line is, you look at expected goals percentage and Matty Beneers' line kind of regardless of who he's playing with is always towards the top. Like that's just kind of how it's gone for him this year. Um, his his lines have been playing really well. So I'm I'm curious to see what this does. Uh, given that the one the one Beneers line RJ that has performed the worst is the one Beneers line that had Jared McCann on it, which I think is interesting. So I was a little surprised to see McCann up there on that line with Beniers instead of Ty Cartier, just because I just think of Beniers and Cartier as being just so in sync together. And I think that would work too, having Cartier in his more physical style paired with Yamamoto on the other side. Like I think that just works as a, you know, at least a traditional line a little bit better. But um, yeah, if you're, if you're trying to get, you know, some of the, the, the magic and the scoring touch from McCann to wear off on Beniers. Yeah. You, I, that makes sense. Yeah, and he has been scoring more recently, too. And I think if you move Bjorkstrand off that line, you do need someone who's demonstrated that they can be a really high-level yes. finisher at the NHL level. You know, Karche certainly had his his goal-scoring spurts, and he's looked good. But 
you know, he doesn't have the same pedigree that it'll be Orkstrander or Jared McCann does. So I kind of understand that. Um, but I, I do like kind of the dynamic of this line, especially with Yamamoto, just willing to kind of go to the dirty areas, throw pucks on net and just be a little chaotic. We've seen it on the fourth line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, you know, I, I think back to a quote, but great quote, by the way, from Dave Haxtell uh, earlier this week, a couple of days ago, yeah. you know, talking about how he's not worried about Matty Beneers and his scoring struggles. He said, you know, whether he shoots it in the net or it bounces in off his ass, one's going to go in for him sooner or later. And I feel like putting Yamamoto up on that line is maybe even a way to make, you know, the, the latter goal happen. Uh, it's definitely possible. Uh, real quick, RJ, do you know what the top performing Kraken line has been this year so far? It's not Forward a Beneers line. line. Yeah. Okay. I- I'm going to kind of go off the board here. I'm guessing it's probably maybe that Schwartz Wenberg Everly line. It so is... crazy it just might work? <laughs> no, no? It, it is not. It is actually the Yanni Gord centering Tolvanen and Burakovsky line for the for the limited time that we got to see. Yeah, it. just put that together next game. Yeah, I was gonna say that's the that's the solution to everything. But hey, you know, Berkey's gonna come back. He's gonna come back. Yeah. Uh, and you could get that going. But that is by far and away the 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 best producing line for the Kraken this year so far. So interesting stuff. Really going to be curious to see, yeah, how that performs in Arizona, especially because, you know, Arizona's no no longer quite the, like, you know, easy easy dub that they used to be. Um, got got a healthy Clayton Keller, got Logan Cooley out there with him. People are, you know, they, they're finding ways to score and, and stay in some close games. So I kind of like that they're going to be a, an interesting challenge for the Kraken in that way, RJ. Yeah, I think they're they're a perfect challenge because they're they're basically a 500 team. They've you yeah. know they've got some talent. They're not world beaters, but they're not a bad team anymore. And I think a 500 team is kind of the perfect measuring stick. Where given where the Kraken are at, you play a really good game, you should beat a 500 team. You mm-hmm. play a bad game, you should lose to a 500 team. And so I just I think that's kind of perfect timing for where they are right now. Yes, but that is that is in the future and part of this podcast, RJ. At least for right now, we got to look towards the week that was, which is of course in the past. And that starts with the Kraken finally slaying the Dragon, RJ. The Dragon being the Tampa Bay Lightning, picking up their first win against that team down there in Midwestern Florida. Is that a saying? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that's how people describe it. But. It's, it's where it is if you just look at Florida. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, the Kraken get the 4-3 win over the Lightning, RJ. Kind of continued everything on this road trip, which was just all the Kraken games were destined for overtime. Um, only that Florida one I- escaping it. Um, and they got they got the win. And it was a really solid win, RJ. Like, it, it, was, a, it was the perfect way to kind of close out that road trip that they were on. Yeah, it was an impressive win. And you had some elements that kind of felt like they fit into the larger road trip. Maybe not always, you know, good things where you come out, you have a really strong first period. I love the way the Kraken started in this game. They were dictating the play. And I think most importantly, they were getting guys where they needed to go right in front of the net. You look at uh, the Brian Dumoulin goal. You're generating a rebound with a big bounce off the pads there of Jonas Johansson. Mm -hmm. You get Yanni Gord streaking to the net using the defenseman as a screen. Uh, And then my favorite goal in this game, you've got Kyler Yamamoto one on the power play he's in that high slot you're getting second third opportunities get a shot from the point and have Jaden Schwartz just kind of banging away at it Yamamoto mm-hmm. there to clean up everything and um the Kraken it was just a textbook first period from them but 
of course, you know, in this in the second period for the second game in a row at that point, you had a two goal lead. You had Jamie Alexiak take a penalty and you had a power play goal against you. And all of a sudden it's a one goal game again. I think the Kraken responded better to that uh, than they did certainly against, you know, Florida. But um, still, you, you had the feeling, OK, another two goal lead. Mm-hmm. Do they blow it again? And sure enough, they do, although I feel like it really wasn't their fault. It was kind of a weird, random bounce uh, in the D zone. But all of a sudden, it's tied in the third period. And I don't know. I I don't know about you, Dylan, but I was a little worried at that point. I was worried at that point, too, just because it was like, oh, my gosh, like this. This is just what's happening, or at least for this road trip, right? You don't always expect luck to change on a road trip like that, right? So when you do get another bad bounce in the third period and it leads to, you know, a situation like this, after that Florida game, you're just like, oh, no, right? What's going to happen here? But everything ended up okay for the Kraken. Jared McCann stepped up in overtime, picks up a power play goal in overtime, which was a big deal to get that power play uh, in the extra period. And look, he, he, he was kind of the hero for the Detroit game at the beginning of the road trip, kind of the hero at the end of the road trip in Tampa. I mean, Jared McCann and really the power play ends up being the story, I think, for me out of all this. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know. Weird? It was an impressive game on the power play. I know it does feel weird, right? I mean, we've covered the Kraken long enough. We know that's not usually the case. But when the power play does get going, it can be the difference in winning games like this. And it was a close game. And in the third period after the Lightning tied it, I, I just felt like the Kraken deserved better out of that one, given the way that they were playing. They were playing really solid defensively, but they were keeping their foot on the gas, doing all the right things. And it was just so important in my mind that they actually got this result. The result I think they deserved, but it was certainly in question, especially heck after the lightning tied it they had a couple posts too that you know just kind of mm-hmm. saved the crack and one at the end of regulation one in overtime and you could see it on the emotion and dave haxtall too after the game yeah. after the mccann overtime winner it flashes over to the bench and you got dave haxtall showing about as much emotion as we've seen from him after a crack and win he's high-fiving the coaching staff he's smiling there you really got the sense they needed this win mm-hmm. no they did and it was it was exactly what the Kraken needed, and I felt like them coming home, bringing that momentum, closing out the month of October, that was kind of a shaky start for them after, again, a shaky start last year, after a shaky start the year prior, right? All three Octobers that this team has played, I would describe as shaky, RJ. <laughs> um, that's that, You know, it's it's starting to become a trend at that point, um, but it was a great way to kind of close that out, come home, start off the new month um, with that game against the Predators. But yes, one, one last time, two for three on the power play for the crack and the other side of the of special teams though rj this was like kind of the first glimpse again though of the pk was is really starting to take a step back as they only went one for two like you said it was kind of a momentum thing too tampa was able to build off of the conversion on that one power play in the second period and um that is that is something that we'll talk about really through all three of these games rj because the pk right now for the kraken is reeling as they just tumble further and further down the standings. Um, The next game was against Nashville Predators. First game back home in Seattle, RJ. 4-2 victory for the Kraken. Kind of pick things up where they left off. And by that, I mean losing the face-off battle, but winning the game. They're back to that, RJ. That's what what the the games this week have taught us. (laughs) Yeah, tried and true method for success, huh? 
Definitely, definitely. Um, this one, though, you know, Kraken, they, they allow the first goal. It's a power play goal, but they're able to get their own back later on in the first period. And then Jared McCann stepping up a little after that, too, to get the 2-1 lead going. I thought that was, again, it was like another really impressive start for this team, which, I, I mean, based on the numbers that we've now seen, the, the goal breakdowns, RJ, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't be surprised anymore by them coming out and firing early on in the game? No, it seems to be just part of this team's DNA. They have really good first periods. They show up to play, which is something we couldn't always say about them the last two seasons. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely been area of strength. Yeah, and then uh, later on in the second period... PK allows another power play goal to the Predators. Roman Yossi just with like a perfect shot. Like, oh my gosh, that shot was, it was a pretty shot, even though it was against the Kraken. That being said, answering the call, RJ, Brian Dumoulin for the second time in as many games, scoring a goal. Again, uh, the, the, the interview we will hear later from him. I mean, that was, of all the people, RJ, not the person I had <laughs> stepping up for the Kraken with the response goal there. No, and history would tell you, you probably shouldn't have him stepping up with the response goal there because this was the first time in his career that he has scored goals in back-to-back -back games. It's been a long NHL career for him. That's not really his game. He's a solid defensive yep. defenseman, uh, but he scores here and in a really nice fashion too. Uh, mm -hmm. He makes this nice stutter step move to kind of gain a lane to shoot. Ty Karche with a really nice screen uh, and the shot just goes straight in past Soros who didn't even see it. Uh, and one thing that did stand out to me after the game was he was talking about the pre-scout telling him that the Preds forwards just kind of hang a little bit lower in the zone. Mm -hmm. So he knew he would have time to go and make that move. And I thought that was a really good like veteran observation, uh, but also something I was interested to ask him about. So you'll hear about that a little bit later, kind of what that pre-scouting process is like and how you get those takeaways in a game. Yeah. And, and how they, how they, the Predators did in fact give him time and space. That was something we all talked about on the post game live too, was just like, how does he get that much time and space? And then you're like, Hey, he talked about this afterwards. It was great. Uh, and now we get more insight into that from the interview. I, I, this whole media thing's really starting to come together for us, RJ. I love it. I know, right? Um, and then in the third period, the Kraken are able to, to get another one from Vince Dunn on a, just a beautiful slap shot, RJ. I mean, that's like video game stuff. Right. Just off the draw slap shot. You just there you go. You walk away. That's that's kind of stuff you don't see too often in the NHL anymore. Um, were you at all worried when Vince Dunn did score, though, RJ? And the score became 4-2. And once again, the Kraken found themselves with a two goal lead because there was a part of me that was like, Vince, what are you doing? I know, right? And hey, up in the press bridge, there are a few people that mentioned, OK, here's a two goal lead. Uh, but you know what? They defended it. They didn't give up another goal and they finally held on to a two goalie. And I think they kind of needed that just just to show they could do it, because I think there was still a fair amount of time left, like eight minutes or so left in the game. It's not like done scores with you know, a couple minutes to go or something. And, you know, OK, well, it's hard to blow this. Uh, they did have to kind of lock things down. There's about 11 and a half minutes left in the game. So, yeah, there was OK. It was, it was eight minutes into the period. Yeah, it so, was. Yeah. It was 838 into the period. So, yeah, it was. It was there was enough time that you could see something like that happen, especially because the Predators, boy, in both games we've played against them so far this year, RJ, they they really know how to kind of, you know, pick and choose their chances of when to counterpunch against this Kraken team. And they get some some really nice movement up the ice. That being said, Philip Grubauer was not going to be denied in this game, RJ. He looked fantastic. I the more I think about this game, the more I'm like, is this one of the best games he's ever had as as a member of the Kraken? 
Yeah, I mean, you tend to think of like, you know, shutouts or games where a goalie only allows one goal. But I think this was a really solid game on his part. And it's got to be in that conversation. Um, he just looked so in command, too. And especially at key moments, this is one of those games where the goalie just makes clutch saves for you. Yep. And I, I just think about at toward the end of the second period, Philip Grubauer, he actually uh, he takes a tripping penalty. There were some kind of you don't see that every day moments in this game. And I kind of want to talk yes. about them, yeah, uh, the other it. two probably before. But we'll we'll start with the tripping penalty here where, you know, yeah, he sticks his leg out. He, he did deserve that penalty. And it's toward the end of the second period. It's a close game. Um, you know, it's I, I believe tie game at that point. Yeah, it's a tie game. Mm -hmm. And um by the way, second penalty of his NHL career, uh, you know, played over 330 games in his NHL career. That's his second penalty ever. Last one was back in 2016. Uh, and I, I was the one to inform him of that after the game. He couldn't remember, you know, if he took another one at any point. I was going to say, give him the Lady Bing. What are we doing? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, no, no Lady Bing this year, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, he takes a penalty. But anyway, the Preds have a power play now with a chance to go take the lead. And it's it's just a huge moment in the game. And Grubauer had to make some huge saves on that PK, especially after being a little shaken up there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just a, one of those really big moments where you need your goalie to come through for you. Yeah, and he did. Um, you know, you look at the two goals that were scored. They were both scored on the power play for the Predators. And again, the PK, like like that Roman Yossi goal, RJ, it's a fantastic mm -hmm. goal, right? It, it's from the, the pass across to him to the finish, and you look at it and you go, wow, maybe the PK should have been a little bit more aggressive there. Just getting in that passing lane, don't give him the ability to, to get that pass, see it in clearly for the one-timer, all that kind of stuff, because it really set up a situation where I don't know that any goaltender could have ever stopped that, you know, having to come across with where it was placed and everything. So I think it was one of those where, you know, the, the goals against are more so on, on the penalty-killing struggles of the Kraken right now than they are on Grubauer. You did mention some other fun or fun, eh, interesting <laughs> moments from this game, though. Yeah, one of them I'll say was fun. Uh, this one is not the fun one. Uh, but uh, yeah, there was a moment where Adam Larson uh, high sticked Gustav Nyquist in front of the Kraken net. And uh, some some teeth were certainly missing on the ice. You yeah. see little I posted the video. I didn't realize it was going to gain as much traction as it did over a million views on Twitter. But I think it does kind of capture this like ultimate. Well, that's hockey moment, right? Yeah, we have a player just picking up his teeth one by one off the ice and uh, you know, no, no real help there from his teammates either. Just the TV cameras on him. And uh, finally, of course, on the flip side of Grubauer taking the penalty, some gentlemanly behavior from him uh, as we have come to expect, he goes over to Nyquist to make sure that he has found the ball and that he doesn't need any help finding any more of his teeth. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, you know, not a pretty moment, but certainly one of those that just kind of, I think resonated with a lot of uh, people who, you know, hockey fans, non-hockey fans, everyone can kind of see that and be like, yeah, that's a hockey moment. Well, hey, you know, hockey smiles have to be born somehow, RJ. And that's yep. that's how they happen, right? <laughs> it is. Oh. Um, yeah. And so then the other moment, this is the fun one. I will call this one fun. Uh, will Borgen had a pretty great back check 
on Philip Forsberg. Yeah. I, and I noticed him just flying down the ice. If you, you know, there in the building, probably on the broadcast too, you could see it. He closed a lot of ground on Philip Forsberg. And one of the cool things with the new NHL edge advanced stats is you can see right away how fast he was going on that back check. Turns out pretty darn fast. He was going 23.1 miles per hour, which is actually the third fastest that any defenseman in the NHL has skated at any point this season. Uh, so Will Borgen, maybe don't think of him as a speedster too often, mm -hmm. but uh, he was going really fast on that play. And also, I guess he's got some pretty good wheels too, because looking at the league numbers among defensemen, he is in the top 15 among players with 18 plus mile an hour bursts of speed. So he can go pretty fast from time to time. Yeah, well, we've talked about him, well, more so in the games last week than this week, but this was another good example. One of the things that's impressed me the most about his game this year, RJ, has been his ability. You know, the Kraken have kind of been giving up too many odd man rushes or breakaway chances for other teams, but it's his, his ability to get back and defend those and to defend those without taking a penalty. Right. Like not only does he have the speed to get back there, but he's got the presence of mind to defend the play, help out his team, help out his goaltender and not do it, you know, in the way most people would, which is which would result in a penalty and probably a couple of penalty shots along the way. Um, so Will Borgen has just been playing fantastic. But yeah, I mean, he's got to be he's got to he's you know, he needs to watch out a little bit there, RJ, because I do believe Climate Pledge Arena. I mean, would you consider that a residential neighborhood? I mean, he's getting close to 25. Oh, that's true. You know what? Uh, yeah, he might be cited for speeding there. I think he wasn't even prepared for how fast he was going, because if you watch the video, you see him catch up to Forsberg, and he's not quite sure what to do, because he's going faster than he's expected. I think he almost like kind of puts an arm around him, realizes, okay, I can't haul him down and tackle him, and then falls kind of near the puck, ends up grappling with Forsberg by the end boards. He wasn't really sure what to do there. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think he was even ready for it. Um, oh, there was another takeaway from that I was going to mention now I can't remember uh, I don't know but you know it is it is always surprising when you're going fast right and then you catch that tailwind RJ that infamous yeah. climate pledge arena tailwind that just <laughs> I remember go though, forward for Seahawks fans like that was a DK Metcalf moment you know yes. like charging back to yep. kind of catch the player going like and he could have tackled him too like Metcalf did but a good thing he didn't that probably would have been a penalty <laughs> yes would have been slightly different than than going after Buda Baker right um that's that is that is a good one there anything else you want to talk about from the Predators game uh no I think that just about covers it yeah okay then on to the game that uh it happened, and that is, of course, the, the last game that the Kraken played back on Saturday night. 6-3 loss to the Calgary Flames. Mentioned it earlier, RJ. I mean, this game was winnable. The Flames were coming in reeling. I was a little worried just because whenever you see a team talked about as much as the Flames are for struggling, generally they find a way to have a good performance or two just to kind of get everybody off their back. So I knew the Kraken needed to be ready for, for at least a, a fight, right? I, they they just didn't seem ready at all, RJ. Certainly after the, the first period, like, hey, we're good. This is what we do. First period, we're out there. We take a 2-1 lead. After that, the Kraken just, there was just nothing. I mean, there, there was like an eight-minute stretch in the second period, RJ. I couldn't tell you at all what happened because I'm not sure anything did happen for the Kraken. They only had three shots the entire period. 
Yeah, I mean, it, the second period I felt like was just sloppy all around. Both teams, I think, weren't playing all that well. The Flames weren't exactly taking control of the game for a long stretch there. It was just kind of weird neutral zone plays where no one yes. could corral the puck. It felt like there were a lot of beer league moments. Like, I, like that looks familiar to me, just the way the play is going yeah. from my beer league hockey, which is never a good thing. Um, but yeah, the Kraken, I just, in a word, I felt like they were just sleepwalking through the second and third period. It just it felt like they were not engaged in the game. The effort wasn't there. And it's something that you don't really see from this team very often. And so it was kind of odd to see that all come together. But you just knew at a certain point, yeah, they're not winning this game because they're just not in it. Yeah, well, it's because they won faceoffs to the tune of six out of ten. RJ still going with this huh yeah no well it, this week in particular makes me think I have to it's just really odd RJ because you look at the first two games we talked about in the first one against Tampa the Kraken they were you know a high shot volume team they had 40 shots that's pretty good you look at the next game against um they uh the, the, the Predators and they're over 30 they're really close with the Predators in there and then this one they just get outshot 31 to 20 and not only were they low event from a shots on goal perspective RJ they were low event just period period only eight hits for the kraken now again i'm not one to normally care about that number that much because i just don't think it matters and i also think that hey in order to get registered for a hit you you have to have the other team have the puck so maybe it's not really that great to to have a great uh high number in but eight was eight is very low for them right anything under double digits is low for any team in the nhl and so i just i'm still kind of confused as to what really went wrong how the wheels could have fallen off so much for the kraken for the second and third periods of this game especially because it, they had really looked like they were turning everything around and i'm not saying you need to have an answer either like i think we're all just confused yeah I, count me as one of those confused and i mean i guess if you're looking on the bright side of it i feel like i don't want to put too much stock into this game just because this was an issue of effort and this team so rarely has games like that you know you see them maybe once every two or three months uh, from this team. And, and so I'm not worried about it necessarily happening again soon. If it does, then you really start to ring mm -hmm. the alarm bells. But I, I just don't see that happening. Execution, yeah, that's the problem a lot of the time with the crack. And that, you know, that has been well documented. But we just so rarely see games like this where the effort isn't there. So, you know, I almost don't want to put too much emphasis onto that in general. Yeah. Now, it was another game in which case, you know, hey, you do a great job. You limit yourself to only taking you know, to given, given Calgary only two power plays, that's really good, right? In today's NHL, that's, you're doing a good job if you can limit yourself to that, but you let them get momentum going in the second period by scoring on a power play, right? Like, oh, does this sound familiar to everybody, right? We've only talked about it for all the games. Uh, and, and in this one, it happens with a minute left in the second period, uh, Calgary gets a goal to tie it at two and then a minute and a half into the third period, Calgary is able to score again and take the lead. And it really was just like, okay, the penalty kill now really absolutely just has to get dealt with because you look at all of the struggles the Kraken have had for the last two weeks, RJ, and it very much feels like penalty killing normally something they're good at the thing that was perfect for like the first two weeks of the season it really feels like the thing that is costing them more so than anything else in all of these games is just the, the fact that not only is it giving up the goal, but in all of these instances, it's triggering comebacks for these teams. And that's a big problem. 
Yeah, it is. Certainly when you can't kill penalties, you're never secure in a game, never secure with the lead. And we've kind of seen that over the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, in this game, it was no exception with the Flames. I mean, the Kraken did kill off uh, most of a five on three. And then you've got the five on four there. And right as it's about to expire, Noah Hannafin kind of sneaks a point shot right under Grubauer. But you you can't put yourself in those positions. And also you just can't be as passive as the Kraken have been. You talked about last game with uh, Roman Yossi there uh, on the point. I mean, any player is going to score from that position. There's a reason Ovechkin is going to be the, probably the, the greatest goal scorer in NHL history from all the shots yeah. from that spot, uh, you know, other side of the ice, but still it's so hard to stop as a goalie. And this one, Hannafin kind of sneaking in from the point, but he's not right on the blue line. He's several steps in from the blue line. He's got a lot of space to work with. Um, and so if they can kind of set up those screens where Grubauer doesn't see it cleanly, it's difficult to stop. And so the PK, which had such a red hot start, I mean, they've they've been pretty bad recently. And I think just being as passive as they are is hurting them. Also, I think you just don't have the same guys with like active sticks as forwards. We talked about on post games, yep. missing Brandon Tanev. They really miss yeah. Brandon Tanev on the PK. Uh, the little things that he does, whether it's pressuring guys at the point uh, very fast. And I, it can be intimidating when you got Brandon Tanev rushing towards you at the point. You've got to move that puck quickly or it could go the other way. And then also the active stick. I think it's something that, you kind of need a little bit more of a trained eye to notice all the time, but Brandon Tanev's stick is just always in passing lanes, always getting in the right spots on the PK. I think the Kraken now you only have one guy who really does that super well. And that's Pierre Edward Belmar, but he's not out there the whole time. Exactly. Uh, we talked about this last week, RJ off air, you and I specifically where the power play and where the penalty kill was for the Kraken vis-a-vis -vis the, the rest of the league. Right. And I believe it was last Wednesday. So not even a full week ago, RJ Kraken were 16th in penalty killing. Right. They yep. were totally league average. You can survive that. RJ, less than a week later, they are now 25th. Right. That's that's the kind of like death spiral. It feels like they're in right now. So it is definitely something that the Kraken need to need to get figured out, hopefully sooner rather than later, because it really does seem like the thing that is hurting them the most at the moment. The other big thing to talk about with this game against Calgary RJ was what happened to Jared McCann, right? And that is, well, I mean, you can, you could walk us through it if you want, RJ, you were there. You, you obviously would have had a better um, uh, view of it than, than anybody else from up there on the press bridge. But uh, it's just uh, what starting to feel like all too common occurrence for Jared McCann, RJ. Somebody, somebody takes an extracurricular shot at him. Yeah, and at his head, you know, in his head yeah. to boot, because uh, that's that's also been a theme for him, and you certainly worried for him after that play. But so what happens is the Kraken are in the D zone, and and Jared McCann kind of slides over and blocks a shot, and so he's down on the ice with the puck underneath him. Uh, just, you know, kind of on his stomach, just on the ice. And Andrew Mangiapane of the Flames goes over there, and I guess he's searching for the puck a little bit. Can't really find it because it's under McCann. And then delivers a pretty forceful cross-check, pretty much puts his body weight down on it, on the back of McCann's neck or his head, sends his head right into the ice. Um, and, yeah, it's it's a dirty play. Um, I mean, there's there's no place for that in the game, and it's a dangerous play too. I mean, Jared McCann did return in the game. He missed a few shifts. He did come back, but I think he's very fortunate that he was able to come back because, yep. I mean, just watching that, go go look at the video. It is a dangerous, dangerous play. 
Yeah, it was one where I was just hoping when it you know kind of happened that maybe his visor was going to help save him there, right? Help keep his face from really you know making too much contact with the ice itself. It was it was bad. I thought the refs handled it well within the moment, right? They they go ahead, they give the major all that kind of stuff. The Majiapani's you know ejected from the game. It, it, you know everything's good. Kraken are able to get one power play goal on the major. You'd of course always want more than that, but that's the still the best way to respond to that situation. I feel like anyway. Um, and then we were all just going to wait for the Department of Player Safety to make a ruling on this because it was just kind of so obvious and it had, again, refs make the call in the game, intent to injure, that's what gets Majiapani removed from the game. We all knew there had to be something coming from the Department of Player Safety, and there was, it was just I don't think what anybody expected or wanted, RJ, as Majiapani's only getting one game for this. That's right. Only a one game suspension for Andrew Mangiapane. And I, I guess maybe it's something that maybe the more more cynical people could have imagined, because I don't think we're entirely shocked by this, just given the history no. of the Department of Player Safety. But still unfortunate to see that a play that dangerous and just, again, that blatant looking, they did call it a, a match penalty with intent to injure. And you don't see that very often, by no. the way. I mean, you, you don't see that even on major penalties. You don't get the intent to injure and the match penalty all that often. And so um, I think the referees saw the seriousness of it right away. They made that call based on it. And again, with major penalties, you get the chance to look at it now. There is that review yep. rule. It's not like they just saw it once. They did get to go look at it on video and they did confirm that call. So that's what they felt on the ice. Unfortunately, I, I guess the Department of Player Safety disagreed. And so watching the explanation video too, I thought this was interesting. This is a quote from the video. It says, it is important to note that we accept Mangiapani's contention that he does not intend to drive McCann's head into the ice on this play. So I guess, again, as I, as I posted that quote with a video of it happening, it just, it, it doesn't kind of, the two and two don't go together here really no. when you watch the video. I guess Mangiapani, because they did have a hearing, that's how these, these work. Mm -hmm. You do have a hearing with the offending player and it sounds like he made the case that I, he didn't mean to do it. Um, he doesn't have a history of these sort of things, by the way. I will say, you know, yeah. he has no history of being this type of player. You know, I'm sure he, he does feel bad about what he did. Um, but I don't know that the argument that, well, it, even if you do believe that, that it wasn't intentional, but reckless nonetheless, mm -hmm. how does that make you arrive at only one game? I don't know. I mean, look, I thought I was being more cynical than most people, at least within the Kraken community, when I thought it was only going to be two games, right? And it's, you know, two games that, that feels like the bare minimum usually for the Department of Player Safety for something like this, where, again, you are talking about an intent to injure play. This isn't just like a, you know, something whatever happened and it was like an aggressive boarding and so they give them a game or something. This very much felt like, you know, okay, it was intent to injure. That's the only conclusion you could draw as an outside party watching it, I feel like. And I mean, even Flames fans were saying that. Like, they were just like, what are you doing, bud? Like, that's, you can't do that. Like, everybody knows you can't do that. It makes no sense to do that. What I'm just shocked about is them them saying that they, you know, they're basically buying what he was selling as far as, hey, I didn't mean to do that. I would love to know then if anybody at the Department of Player Safety asked the follow-up question of, 
Well, then what were you trying to do? Because RJ, I can't think of a single other thing he was attempting to do other than cross-check Jared McCann back down into the ice. Maybe he didn't mean for his head specifically to hit the ice, but he certainly had to have mean to cross-check him down into the ice. He's He's got both hands on his stick. This is a cross-check. This isn't like, oh, look, McCann was on the ground. I thought the puck was there. It was live. I was just trying to grab at it, and I, like, you know, I nicked him in the face with, with my stick, right? Like, that's something you could make an argument around. I don't understand any sort of argument that you could make here. And then for the Department of Player Safety, Safety to say that they they have, they, they, they agree with whatever argument was made is just kind of dumbfounding to me. Right. There's, there's no hockey reason to be doing what you're doing. You cannot play the puck in that position. You know, the only other argument you could potentially have for doing something like that is that you were off balance and you, you were pushed in or whatever. He's not being contacted by anybody. No. It's just him up there on his skates. Uh, there, I, look, I, given his his history or I guess lack thereof of doing this sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know, I, I might buy that there wasn't, you know, a, a intent to injure necessarily. Yeah. But man, there was sure intent to to cross check someone into the ice at that point, and, and you have to be responsible for the results of your actions in that in that case. And one game, I it just it doesn't really send a message at all no I, and, and dylan I, I like to think because we're i think we're pretty consistent on this kind of stuff we'll we'll talk about it both ways and i've seen people on twitter and the reaction everything you know i i, I did call the department of player safety a joke i did say it remains a joke yeah and I, and I do believe that and this is not coming from a place of you know look we cover the kraken but i try and be impartial here this is not coming from a place of being a homer it, it doesn't really affect the kraken whether it's one game or right. five games or whatever they don't play the flames coming up i don't think the flames are really a threat for any kind of playoff spot it's not about mm-hmm. that this is a player safety issue and i just hate to see this kind of thing happen over and over again where you're going to have guys that that are injured really bad. The next time, you know, McCann or whoever's on the receiving end of this might not be so lucky. You had a similar one with Jamie Benn in the playoffs last year. Yeah. He was suspended two playoff games. I, you know, I don't know how you draw the line from that one to the punishment on this one, but, um, you know, so I don't think there's consistency there. But yeah. it's just, it's a player safety issue, and I'm just tired of seeing the effects that this is having and is going to have on players. It's really interesting, too, because it's like the one player safety issue that the PA can't really get involved in, right? Because it's it's not just that members like they, on both sides. Yes, it's members on both sides. And so I feel like that's why it's never really been dealt with the inconsistencies, like you mentioned, and just the overall, you know, unless a guy has had multiple suspensions in the past, we're just never going to do anything of significant of significance right like that's that's kind of been their mo for a while now through multiple heads of department of player safety too like this isn't just say like the current leadership right that we don't have faith in this is something going back decades for us watching hockey rj just going like yeah no that's just how they do it they don't they don't seem to treat it seriously um i mean this it's this they've been called out rj by a team Like, a team has put out an actual statement. The New York Rangers put out an actual statement basically calling them a joke just, you know, two seasons ago. So I I think that that, it is still something that the NHL at some point, I would hope, would deal with. It just, I'm I'm not hopeful for it anytime soon. Um, Yeah, and you you do need help from the union, too. I'm sorry, I'm just going to add one more thing on this. And I know it's tough when you have members of the union on both sides of these things, but I think it's disproportionate when you have 
protecting somebody from short and long-term harm and injury versus somebody maybe being suspended for an extra game or two, hurting you know their team's on-ice success potentially and forfeiting a little bit of salary. It just feels like those two things don't really balance out. I feel like I know which side you should be on, and especially with potential lawsuits coming. I feel like the league and the players' union deserves whatever's coming their way in that respect. Definitely, definitely. And I would assume you mean due to uh, head injury. Yes, head injuries. Yes. That's that's what I'm talking about. Yes. yes. Thank just, you for just, yeah. helping me clarify there. Yeah, just want to make sure for everybody. So yeah, that's, that's that situation. It does bring back up the argument, RJ, of look, this happens. I know the refs got in there pretty quick. Like I, I'm defending the Kraken a little bit here, the, the players on the ice. Refs got in there pretty quick and removed Majiapani. Um, but there wasn't really a aggravated response from the Kraken again. And so it does bring yeah. up that question again, RJ of do the Kraken need kind of somebody around who is going to bring that for them? Do they need to, to stick up for each other so that a Jared McCann or anybody else on the team isn't kind of targeted the way it seems they, they are. Yeah. I think we've said it before this season. I'll say it again. Unfortunately, I think they do. And I think this is something that's now becoming a bit of a reputational problem for the Kraken is teams knowing they can get away with this stuff. And yeah, I know the ref takes Majapani right off to the side right away. And they, they did a really good job dealing with it, by the way, credit to the refs and linesmen yep. handling that situation perfectly. I want to give credit where it's due, but that's the kind of thing. I don't see that stopping players on most teams from at least trying to go after Mangiapane there after seeing that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It seemed like there was no intent from any Kraken player to really go after him or really make an effort there. And it's the kind of response that you, you just can't have over and over again. A one-off, you can kind of make excuses and be like, well, maybe no one saw it right. Or, you know, the amount of times it's happened this season, I, I think it's become a real problem. And I think there's multiple ways of dealing with it. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you can have somebody who goes out there and tries to bring a physical response, uh, but you can also go out and score a bunch on the power play. It's harder to do, but I think that's more effective, honestly. Yes. Yes, the Kraken got one on the five-minute major, but the Flames get one right after the penalty ends with guy coming out of the penalty box. They were pretty much unscathed there. And even if you don't score on the power play, you can make sure that you beat that team on the scoreboard. You can show them, mm -hmm. yeah, if you take a run at one of our guys, we may not have anyone who can you know, physically punish you or maybe you're ejected from the game, so we can't do anything there, but we will make sure that you lose this game. Right. We will go out there and make sure that you pay on the scoreboard and you'll have to go and you'll have to face the media after a loss and you'll have to go face your coach after losing that game because of that penalty that you took firing us up. There are multiple ways you can deal with it. Doesn't matter to me which one the Kraken choose, but they need a strategy. They need a plan to deal with this stuff. And I think, you know, they, they needing to improve in that area is something I think even even Brian Dumoulin acknowledged in the interview here later, um, you know, that that kind of thing just can't happen to Jared McCann. No, it can't, um, especially a player as, as good as Jared McCann has been for this team. I mean, we kind of started off talking about him with these games, how important he was to that team's last road trip as they look at their next road trip starting tomorrow. It's, it, I'm with you. The, you need some sort of answer, and the answer certainly can't be you come out for the flattest second period you've had all year. That's certainly not a way of dealing with it uh, at all. So they need to, they need to figure it out. I We'll see if they do. Uh, they do have other things that they've been focusing on so far this season. Hopefully that Calgary game was just a, you know, two steps forward, one step back. That was the one step back and the Kraken can get back at it against Arizona. But let's go ahead and get to your interview with Brian Dumoulin here and then we'll start the deep dive on the other side of it.
All right, so I'm here with Brian Dumoulin uh, after the crack in practice before heading out on the road uh, to Arizona and Colorado. So uh, thanks for taking the time, Brian. Yeah, no problem. Um, so you've been here in Seattle maybe a couple months now. Uh, you maybe had a chance to get to look around the city, see it around a little bit more. Um, you know, what's been your impressions of Seattle early on? Yeah, it's a really neat city, really unique. Uh, I'd only been here playing a couple times before, so I knew downtown a little bit, but there's so much more to it. I mean, whether you drive a little outside the city to the mountains or uh, with the ocean right there, there's a lot of unique influences, and it's a really cool city. Uh, any specific place or the thing you like to do, event, activity? Yeah, I used to, I mean, when it was going on, the Ballard Farmer's Market, I used to love that on Sundays. Um, just hitting up different restaurants and uh, went to Leavenworth yesterday, so it was cool to uh, check Leavenworth out. At, um, heard a lot of good things, and it was a cool little place. Yeah, it gets really pretty during the winter, too. Um, so shifting gears to the hockey side of things, um, you were uh, had some experience with uh, Justin Schultz, your current D partner there in Pittsburgh. Um, it seems like you didn't play a, a ton of minutes with him in that in Pittsburgh, but like, how much did you actually play together, and how much of that can kind of transfer over like right away? Yeah, uh, we didn't play too much um, in Pitt, but I think one of the biggest things is uh, obviously familiarity. I, I know his game, and... I've watched him play a lot, so I, I know what he likes to do and what he what he's looking for out there. And then also communication. I think that's one of the biggest aspects of, of hockey. One of the most underrated things is just communicating with each other, whether it's on the bench or on the ice or what we're both seeing during the game. So I feel like we have really good communication and uh, we can talk to each other out there. How long does it take to kind of build that communication as a D pair? Because, I mean, you look at numbers-wise, at least just like the advanced numbers, you know, expected goals-wise, kind of maybe a rough first few games, but now you're like a top 20 D pair in the league, number one on the Kraken. Like, how long does it take to kind of get that down? Yeah, it, a little bit. Uh, I mean, I think it's just familiarity of playing with each other. Um, sometimes it's opponent, sometimes it's uh, situations in the game. I mean, you can look at it, look at it analytically, uh, analytically or just watch the games and see kind of how we're reading the plays and getting out of our zone and what the offense is throwing at us, where we're starting and stuff like that. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into it analytically, but I think for the most part is uh, we've been reading off each other pretty good and uh, trying to create some chances, whether it's him jumping up or me or trying to make good reads, but make sure that we're covering for each other also. And you kind of touched on that. What is the biggest part that helps when you get that communication? Is it like breaking the puck out of your own zone? Is it just, you know, cross point pass in the offensive zone? What is it? I think a lot of it is just seeing what the opponent's doing and being able to talk through it, whether they're coming um, in the neutral zone on a two-man forecheck versus one man. We know if they're coming two, then we might not have each other in the neutral zone. So then we have to go maybe quick up, weak side, quick up, quick up, strong side. We know that's our first look. And therefore, our, our partner can start moving up ice and try to get above that forward so we can get up in the place. Um, whether it's on draws, if they're coming one man or two man, if we have to hard rim it or if we have time to make a play. Um, same thing on breakouts. If uh, they're coming too stacked on that strong side, then we might have to go a little outside that weak side. So it's all those little details in a game that you kind of see. Obviously, you can pre-scout before, but until you're actually playing and you're feeling the game and the momentum and how they're playing, uh, kind of talking through that game and just having communication on the bench. Now, you mentioned the pre-scout, and that's actually something I wanted to talk to you about because in the game, after the game against Nashville, you were talking about the goal that you scored there, and you, you mentioned the pre-scout, that you knew that uh, they kind of stay down a little bit further. You might have a little bit more time at the point to kind of make that move, open up a lane there to shoot. But what is that pre-scout process like? Like, how does that work? Because I think a lot of fans, you know, they, they watch the games, but they don't necessarily see kind of the homework you do beforehand. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a little bit. It's just a little details. So, um, Lychee does a good job of showing us some clips about some of their tendencies, whether it be offensively or defensively, uh, what they do. But then it's also familiarity with the opponent. And we had already played them this year, so we kind of knew a little bit of what they were like and how they played. We knew they were more of a shot-blocking team, so uh, we'd have a little bit more time. Whereas versus Calgary, they kind of, as soon as we got the puck, both their forwards were sprinting out at us, so we didn't have as much time at the point. So then that might open up our forwards down low if they have a little bit more room uh, down below the goal line. So uh, it's just familiar with the opponent, I think. And you, you mentioned Jay Leach, you know, coaching the defense, and we've heard from other players about him over the years. You generally rave reviews. I mean, what's it been work, like working with him so far? Yeah, that's another thing, like, with the communication. I mean, he does a great job of uh, relaying to us what he's seeing, um, also showing us clips of four um, on ourselves and also the opponent about what's going on and um, what he's seeing and what we can utilize and what can benefit us during that game. So he's a really good communicator and really patient and really calm and uh, really helps us on the back end. That's good. Now, I, I want to ask you about uh, Jared McCann, former teammate of yours in Pittsburgh, and he's kind of had an eventful start of the season. He stood up for you in a, a fight earlier in the season. You kind of took a high hit and he stepped yeah. in and, and fought a guy for you. Unfortunately, you know, he takes that cross check, you know, last game for Mangiapane and it there's there's been a bit of a history with that kind of stuff. You in last year's playoffs, you know, taking the hit from Kale McCarr. I, I, we've got this question from fans: Does it kind of feel like he has a bit of a target on his back? You know, being that 40 goal scorer. I mean, I don't know. How do you see it? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I think obviously how that play presented itself. Um, it was a great block shot by him, and I don't know what Majipani was thinking or how could he even argue that what was going on there. Um, yeah, Tanner's a, uh, Tanner's a really good player for us and he's a really important piece and you can see he's had a, some success scoring goals and especially here in the big, in the early so I mean I think we got to do a better job of uh, protecting him a little bit. I mean you've had a lot of time playing with guys like Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, you know star players. I mean what do you think is the best way to kind of deter that sort of thing? Yeah it's it's tough. Uh, it's It's really tough because I mean, you know, playing with them, a lot of the stuff you don't even see, whether it be a cross check off a face off or a slash on the wrist or something like that. It's just those little, little things that they, those little beatings that they take every night. Um, that I mean, really, wow me. Where he can keep his cool. I know sometimes he might lose it at the ref if um, they don't see something or a little cheap shot that opponents do to try to knock him off his game, and he just stays so in the moment and. Uh, and battles, and uh, it's really inspiring. And uh, I mean, Canner's that same way. Now, last question here. So, that when you scored that goal against Nashville, that was, I think, the second goal that I've seen you score in person. The first one was all the way back in 2016, Game Six against the San Jose Sharks in the Cup Final. You, you lifted the Stanley Cup that night. Mm-hmm. I grew up a Sharks fan, so maybe I wasn't too thrilled about the yeah. goal at the time. Uh, where does that moment kind of rank for you in your career? Yeah, it was great. Uh, I mean, it was cool. Schultz pass on that. DD is back in my power play time. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just, it was really cool. I, I, I look back and, I mean, that whole run, uh, it's not something that we had on that pedestal going into the season. Obviously, our expectation is to win, but uh, we're just kind of going ups and downs throughout the season, and we got hot at the right time at the end of the season, and um, we were just kind of living for the moment that whole ride. and. Uh, we didn't have any expectations on ourselves. We were just trying to play good hockey. And um, obviously, in that game six, we just don't want it to go to game seven. So uh, any goal is a big goal. And yeah, I was fortunate enough that went in. I can see you remember it well. Thank you so much for uh, joining me, Brian. Yeah, no problem.
All right, RJ, so to kick off this deep dive segment, okay, I wanted to talk about uh, Matty Beniers and Shane Wright to a lesser extent, just because, look, they are the future of the Kraken. These are their, you know, second overall pick in Matty Beniers' case, fourth overall pick for Shane Wright coming out, you know, as an expansion team. These are the guys that, you know, they have to build around, right? Or they get to build around, really, is what it should be, um, because they're both fantastic players. And, I, you know, I know Matty Beniers is off to a slow start this season. Uh, at time of recording, he has four assists on the season, no goals. That's kind of been freaking some people out, right? Especially coming off the Calder Trophy win that he had after his stellar rookie year last year. And so I just want to address some of that because, you know, we've been getting, I've been seeing more and more, and we've been getting in the post game lives more and more calls to, you know, maybe even bench him if that's going to try to help wake him up or something. And I just want to say, I don't think that would work on a young player that's generally what we see the kind of you know toxic teams do rj is is we run into issues and it it never never ever ends well um but i do understand where everybody's coming from maddie beneers you know this isn't the start that anybody expected for him i'm sure he would agree with that and so i was looking and i kind of did a deep dive into uh, his advanced numbers over on Money Puck because, look, that's kind of all I have to work with. He's obviously he's, he, no goals and only four four points through 12 games. Let's see what's going on. And so I did that earlier. I was on my phone. So here's my phone. I got all these screenshots I took, RJ, of all the different graphs on, you know, all small on my phone. Although I will give credit to Money Puck for having a, a pretty decent uh, mobile site. So that that is definitely good on them. And I just want to say that, look, Matty Beneers is he's he's really solid everybody like he is actually playing really well i know we talked about it earlier in this podcast when we talked about all the lines and that the maddie Beneers lines are all you know for the most part the better lines for the kraken as far as driving possession from an expected goal standpoint and maddie Beneers is actually a big part of that i mean he's he's fourth on the team uh in expected goals you look at other ways in which he's getting it done. First, the the big one I think that that should be acknowledged, especially now that the power play is good and the penalty kill is bad. RJ would be penalty differential. Uh, he has taken one penalty so far this season, but he has drawn five, so that's really solid. And and you know he's he's doing good work there. I was looking at other things, trying to see where he was at. He 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 has more takeaways than giveaways, especially in the defensive zone. He's doing well there. He's shooting the puck, RJ. I mean, maybe he could shoot a little bit more, but he's he's shooting the puck. That's not the problem. None of these things are problems. And so I was like, look, he's fourth on the team in expected goals, RJ. Uh, I was like, well, where is he for say high danger expected goals? Like, let's you know, is he really trying? to score here is he going to the dirty areas is he going to the slot is he doing the things that everybody's saying he's not doing and actually he is he's third on the team in high danger expected goals behind only Jaden Schwartz who lives net front so that's no surprise (laughs) and Jared McCann who you know leads the team in scoring and is a 40 goal scorer and just you know has six goals through 12 games so that's pretty elite company on the team rj for maddie Beneers there so i was like all right but that's on the kraken and the kraken aren't exactly known for their finishing and being this great team when it comes to goal scoring and stuff so i was like where does maddie rank in the rest of the NHL. So I go over and I start looking at things for the rest of the NHL. I put in like 190 something minutes just to kind of get rid of any weird outlier uh, players. And I'm looking at Matty Beneers. 
He's a, he's a pretty good company, especially with that high danger expected goals number, RJ. He is tied with Mitch Marner. All right, like nobody's nobody's saying Mitch Marner isn't a good player, and he's kind of him and Marner are kind of sandwiched between Jack Hughes, who's lighting the world on fire, and Panarin in New York. You know, one of the most consistent and best offensive players in all of the NHL and has been for a while. That's the company Matty Beniers is keeping as far as trying to create like rock solid, the best chances you can for yourself. Matty Beniers is in that level of company, so. RJ, he's not playing poorly. He's just been unlucky. And I feel like I can say that he's just been unlucky because we're talking about a 12-game sample size. And so it's enough to say that, yes, you know, we all know if he's hit some posts, that kind of thing, that that luck will change. At what point, though, RJ, would you say that maybe he does need to start doing things a little bit differently if this doesn't turn around, though? Like, at what point do you give up on, oh, this is just unlucky, and you say, okay, you're generating chances, but you need to find a way to actually finish on them? You know, if he gets to maybe the 20 game marker, so it's hard to put a, a number on it, right? Yeah. I mean, you yes, know, it is. <laughs> luck doesn't work in even numbers like this. You can't say, you know, okay, well, 20 games, that's enough of a sample right. size to know that's actionable. I, that's just kind of where my feelings take me, I guess. I mean, the one thing I guess I could point to as far as the goal scoring, because I mean, he, he's generating these offense, he's generating these chances. We, we see that, like watching the games, you can tell that. Um, mm -hmm. But I think around that point, my my one concern for him really is just the shot. And we know his shot is not elite. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's good enough. Yeah. Um, you pointed that out in your scouting reports, you know, whenever you've looked at him, that the shot is good but not great. And, you know, hey, he was able to score a good amount of goals last season with that shot that's good but not great. But I do think it's a little bit predictable. I, I'd like to see him have kind of one more move in his bag than when you're on a two-on-one or when you're on a close rush taking it in, bringing it into your body a little bit, kind of trying to change that release angle, and then always targeting that one spot. We've seen it so many times, right above the pad, right under the glove, that far side spot that he always seems to aim for. And look, it's a good strategy. It's a good shot. He's good at it. He's got a lot of practice with it. But goalies do pre-scouts. Mm -hmm. They know where a player is likely to shoot. And I think certainly being the Calder winner, enough goalies have watched the film on him and they know that's probably pretty likely where he's going to shoot if he gets a chance from a really close in area. And so I think just maybe pulling something a little bit different out of the bag might help him uh, just being a little bit less predictable in that spot. You know, otherwise, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Dave Haxtell talked about it. He's not worried about it. He sees what we see, right? I'm sure he mm -hmm. is furnished with a lot of really advanced numbers, probably better, more indicative of things than what we get publicly. And so I'm sure he sees that stuff. I'm sure he, you know, he watches Matty Beneers, of course, during the games. He knows that he's generating offense. He's not worried. And he did point to the, you know, the scenario where, okay, yeah, maybe a puck just bounces in off of his backside, right? Mm -hmm. He might just need something like that. Because I do think at this point that confidence is is a bit of an issue and i don't blame him at all for that if you're generating mitch marner jack hughes type expected goals numbers and you don't have a single goal yet uh, yeah you should be wondering what's yeah. what's wrong why why me why is this happening right any human would it's just part of our nature um so i do think the confidence is a little bit of an issue but you know what that goes away real quick as soon as you get that first one to bounce in for you 
definitely. I still feel like this is one of those where once he scores one, the dam's going to break and it's just going to start pouring in for him. He's just too good of a player and he's playing too well. Like, again, like that's why I really wanted to dig into him specifically, look at him in a larger context of things. And by the way, yeah, like again, Mitch Marner is having a good season. Jack Hughes is obviously on fire. Panarin's doing what he always does. Like, everybody else, in the, it's not like, oh, he's in this group of people who all happen to be struggling. I want to make that clear. Yeah. Um, it, it's just one of those things where when, when good players are playing well and, and the numbers don't seem to be, you know, showing that, that, you know, that's a temporary thing. This isn't something that happens forever. I do think I'm with you. I think there's probably an element to not a sophomore slump, but look, you, you were a big deal last year and nobody had the book on you. And now everybody's got the book on you. And, you know, you were one of the, the two or three top, you know, dangerous offensive threats on this team last year. They're going to have paid attention to you. Right. This isn't like, you know, we've, we have to deal with making sure we're, we're pre-scouting Jared McCann and, um, you know, Yanni Gord and Matty Beniers. So maybe someone else further down the lineup gets to skate by a little bit. Right. Like this is no, you were part of that group that everybody's going to be paying attention to. So you do have to evolve and, and grow your game. That's something everybody in this league has to go through sometimes multiple times. If you're lucky enough to play long enough to where you start slowing down and need to adjust your game again. Um, and and it's something all the superstars for all the different teams have done. I'm sure Maddie's going to figure it out. It's just, you know, it takes a little while. And, and there's a reason why they're called growing pains, RJ. Right. It's, it can be a little difficult and uncomfortable at times, but it's all it's all part of the process. So there we go. I, I guess I worked myself all the way around RJ to trust the process. Yay. There you go. There Yay. you go. I was I was there with you last week. You, you finally said trust the process. Uh, so there we go. But I really do think everybody just give Maddie some time. I really and I, I'm sure you probably agree with me. Scratching him would not be a good idea. The, no, no, absolutely not. When you have someone whose confidence is is probably at a lower level, that's the last thing you should do is is give them another blow to their confidence. Just does not need it. Definitely. And then on the flip side, RJ, we've got Shane Wright, somebody who, again, is the idea of confidence has been thrown around. Lots of conversation around and, and not just in Seattle, but also um, league wide. Just you know, when looking at his draft class and everything, you have Shane Wright and people wondering, well, why isn't he with the Kraken yet? Right. Like this was he was supposed to be the guy He was supposed to go first overall. He doesn't go first overall. And now he's not even with the Kraken in year two. Like what is going on? Like that's, you know, some unheard of you know, tragedy or he's already a bust or something, even though he's not even 20 years old. And to that, I just want to direct everybody just to, just to pay attention to, you know, what the Kings is Quinton Byfield is doing this year. All right. So the Kings, obviously they're a good team. We're stuck having to deal with them in the division. I know we haven't played them yet. Um, the Kraken haven't, but you know, the Kings are in the division. They're good. We got to deal with them. And one of the, one of the reasons that they are good and that they've certainly been on a little bit of a tear here recently has been Quentin Byfield finally showing up for them, RJ. Now you and I are, especially me, have been guilty of talking about how the Kings, you know, a lot of their high draft picks weren't really performing for them. They were performing at the AHL level, but not at the NHL level. And Quentin Byfield was, you know, up in there because he was the second overall pick. Um, but here he is. He's in his age 21 season, RJ. He was the second overall pick back in 2020. Um, and, you know, a lot of people 
kind of wrote him off because it's taken until this season for him to show that potential at the NHL level. And I think it's just something that we have to remember in the day and age of the Connor Bedards and the Connor McDavid's and the Austin Matthews that not every player is really that, you know, next one is that generational player who is going to come in day one and perform at the NHL level. That's really never how the league has worked. It's always been maybe one or two of those guys every year. And then a vast majority of the prospects take years, plural, to make a difference for their NHL team. And I think Quinton Byfield has been a really helpful reminder of that fact that, hey, look, Sometimes it takes bouncing around leagues. It takes playing in the AHL for a season or two to finish growing your game, finish developing your body. That's a big part of this with Quinton Byfield. He was 6'5", and he weighed like 180. He was a beanpole. He just wasn't able to physically compete with guys uh, right away. And so there's elements of that for all of these prospects, and I think that's what we're going to see from Shane Wright. We're seeing it already with the, the high level of performance he's got at the AHL level so far this year. I think it's just, you know, it's just worth again mentioning that for a long time, this is how the vast majority of players have made it to the NHL. And that includes all the superstars, right? Not everybody comes out right away and, and is that guy. And I think Quentin Byfield is the is a good reminder of that right now in the NHL. And I think Shane Wright's going to be that player moving forward. Uh, any thoughts on that as I just dominate the entire segment here, RJ? No, I mean, it was it was your point that you kind of thought of and, and proposed to me that we talk about before the podcast. And I think it's a really good point that you make. Quinton Byfield's a good example that, yeah, that the path isn't always linear there. Second overall pick uh, in the 2020 draft. And yeah, certainly had some growing pains there. And you look, he spent time in the AHL in his D plus one, D plus two and D plus three seasons. First three seasons after his draft, he was playing AHL games. And if you look at the first two seasons too, you know, year one, he plays only six NHL games. And those are like, you know, coming in April toward the end of the season. Right. And then year two, he does play 40 NHL games, but the first one of those is in January, you know, he's not playing NHL games at the start of the season. You know, he's got that time to come in. He played 11 AHL games that year too. Um, and so the first time that he really played an NHL game, before January of that season was last season in his D plus three season, you know, in October of 2022. And so sometimes it does take time. And if you look at his numbers too, just look at the offensive production. Cause when you draft a forward with the second overall pick, you want offensive numbers. You want a guy who's going to produce for you. If he doesn't do that, it's going to look like a failure. And you look at his numbers early on and you know he's not really a point per game player in the AHL in year one. He gets one assist in six NHL games, you know, plays 40 NHL games the next season. He's only got 10 points, still half a point per game player in the AHL that year. And you're starting to wonder, OK, is this someone who can ever really produce at the NHL level or even the AHL level? I think it was fair to wonder at that point. And, you know, Shane Wright, just looking at his numbers, he seems ahead of the curve compared to where Byfield was in his D plus two season. And then all of a sudden you get enough time, you get enough seasoning, you get enough coaching and you see that spark with 10 points in 11 NHL games this year. And he's just on fire. And I think you could see something similar from Shane Wright. And I just, the lesson, the takeaway is just got to be preach that patience. Yeah, it's it's really important. Everybody goes on their own individual journey. Uh, this is something that is talked about. Like, you know, this is something that was talked about back when I was scouting 
both at the WHL level, but also at the NHL level, when you would talk to scouts at both of those levels, people within player development at both of those levels, like this is just something that everybody within really understands. And I know that from a fan's perspective, it can be frustrating, right? Especially, you know, it's around the draft and development camp right afterwards. And you're seeing these guys and you're super excited for them and you want them on the team and you want them producing and you want all of that because it's hard to be excited about somebody and then, you know, just not see them for two or three years. And then it's like, oh yeah, I remember that guy, right? Nobody wants to be, you know, imagine if, if that was that way with, you know, other things in your life, right? You, you bought this really cool thing and it's like, yeah, now we're going to put it on the shelf and I can't touch it for two years. It's like, that's not fun. Like nobody would want that ideally. Right. Um, and so, but that's, that is what it is, right? That is what it is for 99.9% of players who make it to the NHL. And again, that includes star players. There's so many star players who were not the Sidney Crosby's, the Connor McDavid's, the, the Austin Matthews is, um, they are still, they are outliers amongst outliers. <laughs> <laughs> right, you're talking the elite of the elite. And so I just wanted to get that out there because I think it's worth remembering for both, you know, Shane Wright and, and Eddard Chalet and all those guys within the Kraken system. But also I think it does loop back around to the Matty Beneers situation too of, look, he's still developing and getting used to the NHL. He needs to find out once people know what he's about, how to get past that right? How to grow and evolve his game. This is all still part of that development process that everybody just has to go through. And I, I just think that, you know, look, he's still playing really well. I gave all those numbers earlier that show that he's playing really well. Everything's going to come. We just got to wait for it, unfortunately. <laughs> well said, Dylan. There we go. And with that, I think we'll we'll go and we'll talk about the beer hall one more time, RJ, because Queen Hand. Yeah, beer you hall. have to wait not as long. You have yes. to wait, but only a couple more weeks before you can visit that the beer true. hall. I was gonna say I leave on what the I leave on the nineteenth, I believe, is my flight up there. So yeah, really getting in there. Um, can't wait for that. Can't wait to see it again. See all that stuff. I mean, meet up with people. All of that. I'm super super pumped for it. Cannot wait to get back up there to queen Anne beer hall want to thank them one more time before we end the podcast and then we're going to end the podcast again everybody make sure you you hang around um check out uh uh should have a fun post game tomorrow just you know being in arizona rj gets to you know we get to do the role reversal thing rj gets to run it for a little while solo and then i get to hop in um that's always fun for a change of pace uh i will have um reporting from the Coachella Valley game on Wednesday against San Diego. I can't wait to kind of tweet about that. Let everybody know how Shane Wright's looking, how Ryan Winterton and the rest of the boys are doing down there. So really looking uh, forward to that. And then, hey, if you liked us talking about Quinton Byfield just a little bit, uh, we're doing like a deep dive into the rest of the Pacific Division. All the non-Kraken teams on the Red Glare this this week that we'll be recording at the end of the week. So I just want to let everybody know that's what's going on over on the Patreon this week. If you want to go and check it out, I'll throw that in as well. Um, but uh, until tomorrow night after that Arizona game, everybody just going to have to say, see y'all next time. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash Emerald city hockey, especially our terror of the deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Beef, Ben, Brad, Brian, Burnt Creme, Kaylin, 
Chazzle Dazzle, Chris, Christian, Cody, Connor, Coop, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Ethan, Evan, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Harry Legionary, Habak, Jay, Jane, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Justin, Katie, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Maeve, Mark, Max, Maya, Michelle, Nick, Noah, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rayanne, Rebecca, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, Sia Kraken, Sean B, Sean O, Sergey, Sergeant Pickles, Shannon, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Ty, Wendy, Where are the Slovakians at? Strife, and Zame. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support. 